Mental health challenges are often kept in the closet or even swept under the rug. We know they can affect anyone, from adults to children, and the struggle is real. Join us as we talk about relevant topics with mental health experts. Welcome to Equip Online, a place for hope and help. All right, welcome to Equip Online. I'm Brian, and my co-host this week is Brittany Ali. And Brittany is uh, on staff here at Stonebridge with me as our girls director, works with uh, junior high and senior high girls. So great to have you with us today, Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Yeah, absolutely. And this week we are doing a huge topic, uh, one that is so relevant to so many of us. And we're going to be looking at social media and how it affects our mental health. And so our guest today is Tessa Stuckey. Tessa is a licensed professional counselor here in the Woodlands, Texas. And so Tessa, let's get into this conversation. Let's talk about the impact of social media on the mental health, health particularly of this current generation right here. So Brittany, I'm gonna let you kick it off for us if you maybe ask our first question. I think the first question is just why is social media such a popular thing for teens and tweens in our generation? Yeah, well, I think it's very similar to if you remember when you were a tween and a teen, like all we want is that connection right with each other. Like I remember sneaking on the phone way past my parents wanted me to be on, you know, or even like, I don't know if you're old enough for like instant messenger with AOL, right? Like that was the beginning of that. And, um, email, like we all, as humans, we want to connect we want to feel important and we want to have those friendships for tweens and teens. Like this has become like their only way of doing that Hmm. pandemic or not. It has become their way, their version of sneaking on the phone late at night. You know, Um, the only problem with it is that there's a lot of unhealthy things that come with it and really scary things for parents. And so it's really not healthy for tweens and most teenagers to have so much social media and access to it 24-7. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is, it's, it's just that basic human need that we have. Right. I mean, so I'm, I'm the old person in this conversation a little <laughs> bit. So for me, it was literally like walkie talkies or something, right? you know, if like you could yes. find a walkie talkie that would reach to your neighbor's <laughs> house, still like cool. something cool about, still cool. Hey, we're talking, yeah. we're talking to my friends now, but it's yeah. that same human need. Well, yeah. Connection or like when you were a to. kid and like going over to the neighbor's houses to see who's available to play, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, and it also, you know, has become very convenient. So it's like, I can FaceTime my friend or I can see what they're doing. And we live in a time when everything is very convenient and it makes them feel older too. I think when, especially like a tween, like 11, 12 year old, they feel older because they have a smartphone that maybe their parents just gave them and it makes them feel, you know, more mature, excuse me, whether they are or not. And so um, the problem is, is that it's, it's tricking all of us. We're not actually connecting in the way that we're supposed to be connecting with each other to get that benefit. Um, and that's where it can get dicey and, and scary a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, let's dig into, you know, it's, it's obviously this is a need. I think a, it's part of how we've been wired and created by God, but Tessa, love to talk specifically about how this really is impacting mental health. And so what are, what are some trends you've seen between time spent on social media and our mental health? Let's maybe start with that question then maybe a couple sure. follow-ups. Um, well, we've seen a heightened rate in depression, anxiety, self-harm, suicidal ideation, 
Um, And I do believe a lot of it stems back to social media because with social media, you know, you're getting, there's a couple problems. One is your social life never gets turned off. So they become obsessed with checking their status and their likes and who their friends are and all of that. And it's all right there. Um, And they can't ever turn it off. I mean, they can, but a lot of times they choose not to, right? Yeah. Or you hear a little notification or something mm-hmm. ding exactly. in the background and you're drawn to it. Um, yeah. And then another thing is if you really do want to distance yourself from someone, um, they bother you. They send you a Snapchat or, you know, you can't help but look at their story on Instagram or whatever it is. And so um, even like when they, when teenagers or humans know that they need to have a little bit of distance for it to be healthier, um, they're choosing not to because it's just so addicting. It really is. Um, and so then another problem is the unrealistic comparison. So if you're looking at it all the time and you're not feeling good about yourself, but then you're on Instagram scrolling and you see all these beautiful people or all your friends having an amazing time, but you're not allowed to go or whatever, it can really start to play into your mental health and how you feel about yourself and your confidence level. So Social media really has created this world. We have given our kids social media without preparing them to handle it mentally or emotionally. And they're getting it so young, like nine, 10 years old. And then they're running into all these problems like screen addiction, depression, anxiety, and then the really scary thoughts like self-harm and suicidal ideation. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And and you alluded a little bit of that. Are, are you seeing that, you know, even as you work with teenagers and as, as a counselor, do you see that there's certain triggers or specific content or apps that seem to really trigger mental health issues even more than others? Mm-hmm. What are some of the ones that really seem to? Well, a lot of, uh, you know, Snapchat has a lot of like the inappropriate stuff being p- passed back and forth. And so when a parent gives their child access to to Snapchat and they don't know what their kid is doing, there's a good chance their kid is going to see something very inappropriate um, and then have to process that as an 11-year-old alone, right? Um, Because they don't want to go tell mom and dad because mom and dad might take it away, you know? Um, And that's a lot for a kid to process or even, you know, a teenager. And then I really dislike TikTok. TikTok to me is the worst one right now. And I, I think that a lot of people think it's just fun and cute, um, but there's so many unhealthy, toxic content on TikTok. And also TikTok is like, you know, fixing, like distracting these kids and like becoming their coping skill, quote unquote, so that they can process or not even process something, but distract themselves from something. And it's like this instant fix, which has created, you know, a big problem with today's kids is they're lacking resiliency because everything in this world is so instant for them. So they get that instant gratification and TikTok really is like the epitome of all of that. Um, And there's a a lot of toxic stuff on TikTok that parents aren't aware of. Um, And so I really do. And screen addiction. Oh my gosh. If kids knew, I mean, when I have them sitting in my office, look at how much time they're spending on TikTok. I mean, it's eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I, or they'll say, oh, I didn't do anything. I sat and, you know, scrolled TikTok for four hours. I'm like, gosh, that's, it, it's gone too far. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, you know, and it, what I've noticed about it too, is that just your average kid in school mm-hmm. opens a TikTok account 
And it's incredible the numbers of followers right. that they can have. You know, yeah. like, I mean, I've seen, heard of teenagers just right around here that have 20,000, 100,000 followers. And, you know, I mean, you feel like. Well, so that gives that false almost. sense of, yeah, celebrity. Yeah. Or like you're famous or that you're so important. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, that doesn't come with any true value with it. You know, and then also with girls, like I can, so whenever any of my clients tell me about a new app or something that everyone's doing, I go get it so I can investigate and see like what's going on. And so I got a TikTok this past summer and the amount of like men that reached out to me was crazy. And I didn't post anything inappropriate by any means. And I'm a grown woman. So as a teenager getting that kind of attention, I could see how they like that and it makes them feel important and special and it's tricking them because that's not, like I said, it doesn't have the value behind it so that it's genuine. Yeah. So. Well, it's too a TikTok of like you get on the, oh, I'm going to connect with Christians or I'm going to connect with this and then you enter in and there's no going back. Well, and it, I mean, it is addicting, right? Like you open it and you're like, oh, next video, next video, next video. I mean, everything is 60 seconds or less. And, um, and yeah, you don't know what's going to pop up on your page. There's the for you page and that's, you don't have to have a TikTok account at all. Or, you know, like the algorithm, like they'll send you videos just that they want you to see and, or the viral ones and that sort of thing. And so you do, you stumble on videos like, oh, I didn't want to see that at all. Right. You know, you mentioned, uh, sort of those, wow, I've spent eight or nine hours a day. Have you found too, that in your practice that is there a certain benchmark about, you know, certain number of hours of screen time that just seems if you, if you're at this level, you're going to have mental health issues. What, what, what seems to be kind of a, a level of concern for number of hours. Well, I, I always ask my clients, like, tell me about the balance in your life. And if they're like, I don't do anything, but go to school. And then I'm on my phone all afternoon. Obviously there's a lack of balance. Right. And so typically I ask the following questions. What do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do? That's relaxing. And what can you do when you're mad that's safe, but makes you feel better. And if any, and they're not allowed to, put anything that has to do with devices as an answer. And if they can't come up with anything, then we've got a problem. Um, And then I also like to look at sleep, like how much sleep are you getting and why aren't you going to sleep when you should be going to sleep? Um, But I usually stick to about two hours for most individuals, two hours or less on the screen. Now as adults, especially as adults, like we need our phones for email and checking in on people and that sort of thing. Like I schedule my clients through my phone. So there's going to be times when we need it. Um, but this is what I say. If you are going to get on a screen to be productive, then that's fine. Like you're getting work done. You're answering emails. You're getting schoolwork done. You're working on a project. You're researching something. But if you're getting on a screen to do mindless scrolling, that's going to start affect your mental health. That's good. Um, so you kind of talked on this a little bit, but how do you see different social media platforms impacting students? So if TikTok is giving them a gateway into mm-hmm. all these things, what do you think about Instagram and Facebook yeah. and all the different platforms available to them? Yeah, I think Instagram, you know, I personally love Instagram. That's what I do a lot of my marketing through. Um, so it's not so much that I don't like social media. I don't like TikTok. I will say that, but, um, it's more that, you know, we just haven't 
figured out how to raise our kids in this world of social media. And we have to figure out when's the best time to give it to them. So like when I get a new client and they've been self-harming for years and I ask them, you know, when's the first time you thought about self-harming? And they tell me, oh, I was 11 and I was on Instagram and I saw an ad to help people who practice self-harming. Like, so the intentions were good, but the way the 11-year-old processed it was, oh, that's an idea, you know? And so you have to be really careful. I mean, and Instagram is really good at the unrealistic comparisons, like models or or influencers and like kind of giving off this idea that my life is perfect when in reality it's not like that at all. And with the filters, like I'm seeing more and more problems with body image stuff with girls because all the filters on Instagram and stuff are, they make you look totally not like you, but they love it. And they almost think that they're supposed to look like that. It's, it's a big, it's a big problem with the comparison stuff. So I would say Instagram is not good for the comparison stuff. And, and girls struggle more than boys do with social media, typically with certain things. So like girls hold on to the emotional trauma that can come from social media stuff and boys let it go a little bit easier. Um, Not to say that boys should get social media before girls, but they just handle it differently. Um, And so Snapchat is a little bit scary because, you know, the texts disappear and the pictures disappear after a certain amount of time. And so people get obsessed with, the stories and showing off their own life, whether it's real or not, you know, and that happens in Instagram and Snapchat. And then TikTok is the one that TikTok really is the one that I'm the most against right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was very much against Snapchat for a long time. And now like a lot of my energy is going into t- to TikTok um, because even the kids aren't as interested in Snapchat anymore. Like they aren't even as they really do just use it to text their friend the way we text through our normal phone text messaging and and they don't really do it for any use it for anything else but tiktok is the one that you know but then i mean then you hear really scary stories like did you hear about that therapist the dr berman her son he was 16 and he bought drugs he found a guy through snapchat to give him drugs and so the guy he never met him but the guy he met on Snapchat brought him the drug, like Xanax or something, and it had fentanyl in it, and he died mm-hmm. just yeah. after taking it, like, only a couple minutes. Um, and that was through meeting someone on Snapchat. So I think the biggest thing is, you know, back when AOL was coming out and your parents were warning you not to get into the chat rooms, right? Yeah. We're basically handing our kids these smart devices, and it's all these chat rooms, and we're not monitoring it the way we should or talking to them about it as they grow so that they're prepared to have social media when they're ready. Yeah. yeah so good. And we definitely want to, in a little bit, hit some specific things for parents as yeah. well. Um, but one other, one other question for you too, in your observation, how has social media affected the way teenagers view language and communicate? How has it affected how they communicate with each other? What's the impact of that? I mean, there's not as much of that social interaction face-to-face, right? And they don't have as much motivation to get out of the house. Like they don't, we're seeing so many teenagers who don't even want to get their license 
because they don't really need to in order to see their friends, right? Like I couldn't wait when I was in high school to get my own car and drive around and like meet people at Taco Bell or whatever. And they don't do that. They don't have to do that as much. And what we're seeing is, is more social anxiety happening where teenagers don't feel comfortable ordering their own food at Chick-fil-A or walking into a place where they, you know, it's crowded and social anxiety is very normal and typical and part of, you know, growing into an independent person, but, um, they have a really hard time navigating social situations and it's because they're behind screens a lot. And then another thing that I've seen is, you know, I think I've talked to you about this, but hurt people hurt people. And there's a lot of hurt people behind a screen and that's where they feel comfortable and overly confident to be mean to others. It's a safe way to say something rude or mean or conflicting to somebody because they don't have to see the immediate physical reaction or they don't have to be empathetic or sympathetic or anything like that. Um, And so I'm seeing more and more people getting angry and and feeling comfortable voicing their opinions behind a screen. I'm sure you guys have seen that too. Um, and that includes our kids too. And and it can be really, really hurtful and hard for others, you know, with the cyberbullying stuff. Would you say girls or guys are more prone to saying the hurtful comments or is one more victim versus perpetrator? I don't, from your that's a good question. I don't know. I've seen it, you know, universally. I've seen it with adults too, you uh, know, so it's happening all across the board. Um, but I think, you know, girls can be very hurtful and this is another way of them to kind of have that manipulation or that drama and they have more confidence because they're behind a screen. Mm-hmm. Well, just to kind of get practical a little bit, um, you know, maybe a question would be, do you have any guidelines, Tessa, for um, maybe in the area of followers? I mean, I, I was watching a special recently about the person that invented like the like button and this whole mm-hmm. idea of followers and people liking mm-hmm. me on social media. But what are some guidelines that you would have about who I should follow and mm-hmm. who's following me and maybe even That's specifically that question a little bit? Yeah. And it depends. I'm so sorry. You're going to have to edit this one. (laughs) Um, That's a really good question. And it depends on how old they are and how many conversations the parent has had with the teen or tween. Um, The idea to me of a tween getting social media does not sit well. Um, I usually say that around 15 or 16 is when like the develop the emotional maturity is developed enough to start getting on social media. And I don't want them going into college being sheltered and never of having social media because it's not going away. So I think around, you know, sophomore, junior year is an okay time to start doing social media as a teenager. But the parents have to, <clears throat> the parents have to do their job of having the conversations that need to be done, like internet intelligence and who to follow and who not to follow. That's a hard one because I would want my teenager to keep their accounts private for one so that strangers can't just see everything or, you know, contact them. And then um, you, we want to teach our kids to follow accounts that are uplifting and positive 
you know, and beneficial for them, not negative or encourages bad behavior. So you have to have a lot of conversations with your kids about that. And, and then you can either trust them or you can kind of monitor it and make sure that they are kind of following through with that. Yeah, that's really good. When I'm talking to my students, one of the biggest things they say when you say like social media is bad or you need to monitor mm-hmm. it is, well, if I don't have it, I'm missing out. Like right. I, I, I can't do anything. I'm missing out on all the things my friends are doing. And so do you think there is a place for connection and relationships on social media or how do we navigate that idea of I'm missing out if I don't yeah. have this? <clears throat> I do and I don't. So I'm obviously a fan of connection outside of social media. Um, and that really does, that really does mean that we have to kind of push our kids to meet up together in person or as parents of like younger kids to make that happen more um, and encourage that. But what's happening is when you're on your phone really doing anything, you're getting a big rush of dopamine, which feels good, but it's it's too much. It's a huge dump of dopamine. And then that what you see happen when you take away devices from kids and even teenagers and some adults is they don't like it when you take it away because you just took away their happy feeling, right? Yeah. And the, those chemicals. But what's missing is the oxytocin chemical. And that's what we get when you are with someone in person making eye contact, you know, holding hands or touching and hugging. Um, and that's what's not happening. So that's the part that's kind of tricking everyone to think that you're connecting with each other, but you're really not. It's just surface level and it's not you know, as genuine as it needs to be so that you feel that sense of support, community, um, and encouragement from people. Then how do we help our students and our teenagers transition from this fake connection to a real connection and real conversation um, in real life? It's really hard. I, I sit with teenagers every day having these conversations because I get it. I, being left out is not a fun feeling. And I think that a lot of parents, um, give their kids smartphones too early because they don't want their kids to be left out. And it's true. It's happening. Like even coaches will have group text messages on Snapchat, but then what about the students that don't have Snapchat, you know? And so it's happening for sure. Um, however, the mental health backlash that can happen and most likely will happen is not worth giving our kids smartphones too early And kind of helping them build resilience to struggle through that. Um, But just encouraging them to not have their phones as much or teaching our kids that balance and that self-regulation that's needed in order to, you know, get through this thing called life, right? And I think that as parents, we really do need to encourage them to, hey, are there any of your friends that don't have social media or you know, maybe you need to reach out to them because they're so used to the Snapchat group chat. And that's not mean that they don't care about you or that they forget about you, but that's just kind of in their lifestyle, you know, and, and teaching them how to do that. It is a hard one though. It really is. The idea of we're alone together and even when you are together, right? right? Kids are always sitting on their phone, like scrolling and Mm -hmm. I know it's a tough And so it's like, what is the value of that hangout? Mm -hmm. That happens a lot where there's, you know, six, seven girls at a sleepover and it's totally quiet. And I'm like, that's not normal, (laughs) right? For six girls to be quiet. And it's because they're on their phones. What I do see is that boys 
are more up for activities and having like going and doing things, girls have a harder time putting their phones down. And it's because they're kind of like wanting that connection or the image, you know, to look a certain way. But it's, you know, another thing is to brainstorm replacement ideas, kind of like those questions I asked, what, what do you like to do for fun? What do you like to do that's relaxing? Come up with some options that can replace what you would do on your, you know, that time spent on the phone and do this so that there's more balance in your life. Yeah, that's really good. You kind of mentioned that a little bit, but um, are there any other advice you would give to teenagers, young people about how to continue to set those healthy boundaries for themselves? I mean, I think some of what you said kind of. Well, and again, I don't like it when parents give their little ones smartphones much, but in the beginning, the parents have to do the regulation. They really do because their brains are not developed enough to typically to go, Hmm, I've been on this for too long. Let me put it down. So it really does start with the parents doing that, especially if, um, they're giving them a smartphone right off the get go, which I don't really love that. There's things you can give them. that's kind of like a gradual training course till they are ready for a smartphone. Um, but it really does. The parents have to start with the regulation and that means setting screen time limits and, getting routers that monitor the phone, making sure that they're not um, seeing things or saying things or hearing things that are really harmful to their mental health. And then, um, and then you have those conversations with your kids about how to know when you're ready to put it down and that sort of thing. And again, I go back to like sleep. How's your sleep? If your sleep isn't good, okay, we need that boundary there. We need to, you know, all put our phones down at 9 PM or whatever, um, and, and kind of go right there. It's case by case. Every kid is different. And so you do have to adjust accordingly. Um, but it does start with the parents kind of starting that regulation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Cause but, I mean, adults have a hard time putting their yeah. phones oh, down, yeah. right? Yeah, so absolutely. how can We're we no expect different. these kids and teenagers to have that ability? Yeah. As part of setting boundaries for your, your kids, I mean, you, you need to set some boundaries for yourself since they're mm-hmm. wa- always watching and waiting and going, mm-hmm. well, mom and dad are always on their phone. Like, why can't I be? And yeah. how do you find the balance of we're being productive, but they don't know yeah. what that is like. So, um, I hear that all the time. And the thing that works really well is to narrate what you're doing on your screen. Even if you think they're not paying attention, they're eating breakfast and you want to check your email, say out loud, you know, okay, I'm going to just check my email really quick. I do also say like, I prefer like if you can do it on a computer, do it on a computer, not your phone, because they do, they just have that phone right in their face, the back of the phone. And they think that you're just doing what, a you know, playing Candy Crush or whatever, yeah. you know, <laughs> they don't know what you're doing. So if, if you can prioritize your time to either be on your computer, so it's a little bit more, I'm getting work done narrate what you're doing. Say you need to check the weather even, you know, or your best friend just texted you. Like you can just narrate that. So they're aware of what you're doing. And then they're also learning why we use phones so that when they are old enough to have their own phone, they know that modeling productive. Yeah. You're modeling the productive rather than the mindless scrolling. And then if you do want a mindless scroll or you want to get on Pinterest or whatever, I always suggest parents to wait until you're not with your kids. So either they're at school or it's bedtime or, you know, they're not around. That's when it's 
more appropriate to pick up the phone and scroll through Instagram or, you know, Pinterest or whatever. But um, so to hold off on that. So, yeah, you have to practice those healthy boundaries as well as adults. Ouch. Yeah. Gosh, man, you gotta <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a gut check there. Preach, now, right? I guess. Mm-hmm. So speaking of parents, Tessa, I thought it would be good to kind of wrap up our conversation today thinking about three different types of parents out there. Okay. Of different stages of parenting. So I'm going to kind of give you a few different scenarios and maybe you could just speak a word of encouragement or advice. Mm-hmm. And so the first group I think about are those parents who... Maybe like Brittany, they're, they're going to plan to have kids one day, not there yet. Yeah. Or maybe they've got young kids mm-hmm. and they're, they're really trying to think ahead. Yeah. And they're like, what, what would be a word of advice or encouragement for parents of young kids wanting to not be blindsided by this, but what, what can they do even now yeah, to help? Absolutely. So today's teens are, have grown up in a world where everything is instant and convenient. And so they have lacked opportunities to build resiliency and true connection. So parents of younger kids, it's important to start that from the get-go. And that means no devices, you know, during a time of boredom or distress. We need to teach our kids how to process their emotions and get through, you know, typical struggles as a kid without an easy Band-Aid or crutch like a iPad or something. Um, so that's the biggest, I mean, those are the biggest goals for me working with today's youth is building resilience and connection. And that starts when they're itty bitty. Oh yeah. I mean, we, I've got kids of different ages and mm-hmm. our first grader, we've noticed when he's had a long day at school and he's really tired, he mm-hmm. immediately wants the iPad yeah. when he gets home. Yeah. And that's almost like this form of a pacifier or just yes. something that mm-hmm. just kind of soothes and him. I, it's and easy to fall into that yeah, trap. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with him having something that is soothing and comforting for him. It's just that the iPad has so many negatives that come with it mm-hmm. that it later on his mental health will be affected if he yeah. doesn't learn how to get through stuff without the device. Right. So just training right. them to link like comfort with a screen. Is that kind exactly. of what's happening? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Or just even distractions or you know, um, even as parents, it's it's a lot easier just to hand over the Nintendo Switch or the yeah. iPad. We can go do what we want to do now. And we yeah. can get stuff done. Yeah, right. And I mean, especially over the pandemic, you know, like people working at home, it's hard. It really is hard. Or they're whining or their behavior is bad. And you know yeah. for a fact that if they watch Mickey Mouse on the iPad, they'll go in the corner for hours if if you want and they'll be quiet. Um and it so it seems really nice. It seems like this magic trick that previous generations had to suffer without. And mm-hmm. the truth is, is that we're seeing later on the effects um, in teenagers and young individuals. And they just it it affects their mental health too much. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So uh, the next scenario would be the parent who maybe they've got kids that are entering into like fifth or sixth grade, like okay. middle school years. Mm-hmm. I've seen that in my experience. I see that as a pretty common time mm-hmm. where kids are getting their first smartphone. Yeah. A lot of it is they're now in different extracurricular activities and mm-hmm. all their friends are having it because that's how they're communicating and all that stuff. So to me, that seems like another really important milestone. Yes. What would be a word of encouragement or advice for parents with kids around that age? So I suggest holding off a smartphone as long as possible. 
come in and say, I wish we didn't give that Mm -hmm. to him or I wish we didn't allow her to have that. Um, And so a good option is the Gab wireless phone. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but it looks like a smartphone. It just doesn't have internet. So it has call and text and that's it. So appearance-wise, it's not like some old-fashioned phone it from Grandpa, but right. it's like, yeah. With like <laughs> kind of duct looks tape cool. on it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it looks like a smartphone. Okay. Um, and you can take pictures on it, and and that's about it. And text and call. So it's nice for that for a transition. Yeah. I also like the watches, like the smart watches for kids. Not the ones with the games on it, but the ones where they've got like five numbers connected that they can call or text. Um, and just doing it through that too. But regardless, you, every family is different and you have to figure out what's best for you. I understand wanting to give your child a way of communicating with you if you need to pick them up in fifth and sixth grade and that sort of thing and connecting with their friends. You just have to be really, really careful about it. Um, if it is a smartphone, kids really, I mean, they can work around almost anything mm-hmm. and hide, they hide things really well. And so you just have to educate yourself on what your family is ready for and be aware of the screen addiction stuff. Um, and how to really push for balance and boundaries within the family. That is crazy how many of my students are like, you'll never believe what I hid from my parents. Yeah. And it's like, well, your parents are getting a phone call. <laughs> surely, right, right. But right. They, yeah. they're so savvy with it that their parents mm. have no idea. They think, oh, well, I put the password on and little did they know you can hard set it to right. get rid of it. Right. right. But Which have is the so crazy, of it. like yeah. that they go to such extremes. No. That just shows the addiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another thing is, have you heard of Bark? Mm-hmm. Program that you can buy, and so you connect your kids' phones to it, and so it sends you all of the things that you need to worry about. So if there's a text talking about sex, drugs, or violence, like it'll come to the parent, so that the parent knows that all the you know it's filtering out for the stuff that they need to be concerned. Yeah, we use yeah. Bark. We've it's we found it to be it, it's it's kind of nice. It it gives them a sense that they they can do some things, but it does flag and I do like how it flags certain things within their text messages and lets you know if they try to open up accounts with different social media, those types and of things. And it can monitor yeah. accounts yeah. too. Uh, checking the phone is a hard one because to me it's very similar to like your child's diary mm-hmm. because there's a lot of yeah. stuff on there that's personal to them, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Um, so, but I understand also as a parent wanting to know, like, are they getting into something or is somebody being mean to them? Are they being mean to others, you know? Uh, and that's why I like bark because it kind of keeps the appropriate, um, boundary there as parents. So yep. you're not invading privacy, but you're also getting, flagged whenever something inappropriate or scary is happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so Tessa, so good. So the, the last group of parents I was thinking about is, is kind of like me. We were joking earlier that I'm kind of like the, the Guinea pig generation of, I got kids that were born in the early two thousands and technology was this really cool thing that, wow, this is so neat. It's going to make our lives so much better. And and now only now we're like realizing, oh man, what have we done? You know? And so I think parents that have teenagers right now, kind of like us, it's easy to feel very overwhelmed, very discouraged, very hopeless. 
but I believe that there's always hope, right? You know, so maybe just share a word of, of hope and encouragement to parents who are feeling that way and they have teenagers right now. What, what can they do? Yeah. Well, it's never too late. Never, ever. Even if you have a kid in college, it's never too late. And really what it comes down to, I think, especially with teenagers is connection, finding a way to connect with them um, and get to know them for who they are today, not who they used to be or who you want them to be, but who they actually are. And that that the best way to do that is to get into their comfort zone because um, they really I know for parents you think that they don't want to connect with you, but they really and truly do. They just want to connect with you so that you're, they're not getting lectured all the time or nagged all the time. You know, I see it a lot where kids are really hard on themselves already. And then the parents are right there to say, and your room is a mess and you got to see and what is going on with blah, 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 blah. And that's not the kind of connection that they want with you. Not that you are never going to do that. You know, as a parent, that is part of our role to parent them in that way. But another part of our role as parents is to take interest in them as the individual human beings that they are and to focus on that quality time and connection. Um, And I have so many teenagers who have said, you know, I'm thankful that my mom cares about me and shows me that by spending time with me and we put our phones down and that sort of thing. And another thing is to kind of take ownership as the parent, you know, you didn't know that this would be this much of a problem um, by giving them an iPad when they were seven years old or whatever. And now you do. So when parents kind of wake up to that a little bit, it's okay to take responsibility and take ownership and then have them be a part of the conversation and let them contribute to this new lifestyle that you guys really want to establish as a family so that everyone is mentally and emotionally healthy. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's such a good word. Um, and you know, sometimes I think we can, when we become educated and we have that aha moment, like, Oh my goodness, we, we can panic. And mm-hmm. you know, we kind of do the, we, we come in with all the, the new rules, just like super strict this is out how of it's nowhere. Be. Yeah. yeah. And without taking that step of trying to connect yeah. with them mm-hmm. and it just, it just kind of can backfire on right. us if we, if we go that route rather right. than I think connection allows us to get into the conversations, like you said about having, okay, what is our new lifestyle going to be now that we have learned more about this yeah. and now we, we really want to care for all of our mental health. We want to be the best we can be. What what is this going to look like for us? Yeah. And so a lot of times parents are like, well, how do I just like sit and talk? How do I get my kid to talk? And the, the secret is go do something together, you know, just like you would with a friend or your spouse, like go do something fun together or something that they really love doing. And they will start once they feel comfortable, they will start opening up easy. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I was trying to get my parents to let me have Instagram because it had just come out and, uh-huh. and their first thing was like, well, why do you want it? And trying to figure out what was my motivation and find out the heart. Mm-hmm. But then more than that, they asked me to, what do you think should be some boundaries? And while they did mm-hmm. not always agree with what I proposed, right, they still allowed me to be part of it and gave me yeah. the heart behind why. But then they're like, every time we went to have a conversation, we also went and did something fun. And so it felt more neutral ground versus around the kitchen table. Like we're going to hash this out right now. We need to have a talk. Yeah. But like, Hey, we want to love you and we want you to be connected, but also we love you too much to allow you to be connected without limits, but still trying to invite uh, me into what they were thinking as well as enter into where I was at too. Well, and giving you a voice too, Mm -hmm. even if you were young and didn't know 
some of this stuff, you know, it's important because it gives our kids that sense of, well, you're part of this family too. We're not just going to tell you what to do, you know, without like taking your thoughts and opinions into consideration. And nobody likes to feel controlled. Nobody. I have yet to meet someone who really loves being controlled. And that's how a lot of teenagers are feeling all the time, Hmm. you know? And so as parents, it's important for us to alleviate that controlled feeling a little bit so that they feel like they are in control of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love that example too, because you're not only is that a great way to approach the teenagers, like what you said with your parents, but it's also teaching you how to think more like an adult. It's Mm -hmm. kind of honoring the fact that as a teenager, you're, you know, you're, especially if you're 16 or 17, you're only a year or two away from being considered an adult, you know, rather than just coming down and just saying, well, we're just doing it this way. No discussion. Um, again, there's that control feel and you're not allowing them to learn how to negotiate, how to actually talk (laughs) through something maturely, how to to think think through through and what are the harms that could come to that from this. And yeah. So not only is it a better way to approach it, but it's, it's maybe even a a good life skill kind of time Mm -hmm. for your teens. Absolutely. And equips you for when you are in college and when you are an adult and how do I filter through this new social media platform? Do I really need it? Is it accomplishing a goal? Does it align with my values. Um, and I just really appreciate my dad was always like, we're raising you to release you. And by doing that, we're going to have the conversation and and give you the skills you need to process. And we're still your parent, but at the end of the day, we want you to be an adult who's able to function and have your own ideas and opinions and that we are equipping you while you're in the walls of our home where it's safe so that you can be a adult that walks with integrity and walks with discernment and that isn't um, putting yourself in a situation where you didn't have to ever be in the first place. I just really appreciate that that was always their framework and always Mm -hmm. how they approached it. It made me feel special. It made me feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I'm getting to be like an adult. And yes, I'm still going to have my pity party about why you're not letting me have more than an hour (laughs) of screen time, but you're still allowing me to be part of the conversation and to Mm -hmm. own it and give me the skills I need. Yeah, Right. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been such a great conversation. Before we wrap up, Tess, is there anything you'd still love to to share? Maybe we didn't get to that, you know, as you think about this topic that you'd love to. I mean, I could talk about little, this <laughs> yeah. all day, every right, day. Right. Um, didn't know if there was so a final many. word that you wanted to say or anything about it. Or? I think I, I do think that parents, um, I wish that it wasn't this case, but it, it really is the case that all of our kids are susceptible to some mental health issues um, in today's world and culture if we don't wake up a little bit and recognize like what's going on within within their own home, right? So that's, I think a lot of parents feel like, oh, well, he's home, he's safe, you know, he's just in his room. And it's like, well, there's other stuff going on that could harm him mentally, physically, and emotionally. And it's just important as parents for us to really admit that and and be okay with that and recognize it and then do something about it. Yeah, that's a good word. And and again, I love the word of hope that no matter where you are along that paradigm, that, that time frame of parenting, that, you know, once you do have that realization that there is, there is hope to, to see some change and some good things mm-hmm. still happen no matter where you are. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it's going to be a struggle at first. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. But um, it's worth it. Yep. Absolutely yep. worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, Tessa, again, it's been so great. Just this whole big conversation we've gotten to have together. And 
Uh, I know we, we mentioned if you saw the part one of this, I know we said a little bit, but, but anything else, Tessa, that you want to say as far as remind people again, how they could connect with you or any resources on, on kind of this, what we talked about yeah. today, you would like to recommend or. So you were saying you saw the movie social dilemma. That's a yeah. good movie to watch. Another one I tell parents about is childhood 2.0. I think it's on prime. Um, I like it better than social dilemma. Um, also my book, I have a book about all of this and what's going on in today's world and kind of what I believe parents need to, um, understand a little bit better of, as well as tools of things to get through it. And it's called for the sake of our youth. You can get that on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And yeah, you can go to my website, tessastucky.com. That's with an E Y. And yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks. And we want to just thank you for listening, for watching this episode of Equip Online. And just as a reminder, Equip Online is a partnership between Stonebridge Church and Mosaics of Mercy. Mosaics of Mercy is an awesome nonprofit here in our local area. And their heart is to just be a a wealth of information, resources uh, concerning mental health. They are a great place to see who uh, the counselors are in this area. They're a great resource for support groups and all kinds of different things. So they're a really wonderful partner. And as always, our desire is that you would walk in the fullness of life that you've been created for. God bless. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. We are really passionate about mental health. If you found this episode helpful or beneficial in any way, we would love for you to hit that like button, subscribe to our channel, and ding the notification bell so that you never miss another episode. You can also subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. See you next time.